You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. And what we have here, again, is two paths toward peace. One was enforced by militarized power. The other addressed the root causes of injustice that lead to the lack of peace. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 329. And our title this week is Choosing Peace Through Militarized Policing, or distributive justice. This week, we end our consideration of the the final warnings in Luke's version of the Jesus story and and, and how they might relate to our uh, society today. In Luke 23, we read uh, uh, the final warning there. In Luke 23, 28 through 31, Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless womb and wombs that have never born and breasts that have never nursed. And they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? In this passage, Jesus addresses women weeping for him as Roman soldiers march him toward Golgotha. And Jesus is just moments away from being crucified here. And Luke tells us that a large number of people, in Luke 23, 27, a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Days earlier, this same crowd had ushered Jesus into Jerusalem. White Christians today who still trust in in militarized saviors in our current social climate they miss a lot of the details in Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem just a, a few days previous to, to, to what we're discussing this week. Luke's gospel borrows imagery used by Rome itself, which referred to Caesar as, as the son of God. He was called the savior of the world. And, and through the victories of Rome or, or Caesar, the political propaganda of Jesus's day proclaimed peace, uh, on earth, that that would come through Rome. That was their gospel. They called that the 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 the, the Pax Romana or the the peace of Rome. And when Caesar would approach a city in the Roman Empire, emissaries from the city would go out to meet the dignitary and then escort him on his way back into uh, their city. They would welcome Caesar and the peace that Roman occupation brought to their lives. The fact that Luke's gospel used images of honor thought to be due only to the Lord Caesar would have been deeply subversive. It would have deeply subverted Rome's political gospel. And as Luke's Jesus approached Jerusalem, the crowds cried out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Yet there's a difference between Luke's Jesus 
and Rome's Caesar, where Caesar would have ridden a war horse in his triumphal entry, Jesus came riding on the foal of a colt or a, a young donkey. At least two literary agendas are, are, are present here. There's a contrast to Rome's militarized methods towards peace and, and Jesus's path toward peace through distributive justice rather than policing and 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 the writer is pointing readers and listeners to the words of the prophet of of Zechariah rejoice greatly daughter of Zion shout daughter Jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt uh, the foal of a donkey I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim peace to the nations. He will rule, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's Zechariah 9 9. Notice the movement toward peace, but away from uh, the way that Rome kept that peace, which is just through militarized policing. Uh, attaching Jesus to Zechariah's words. Put the violent imagery of Caesar riding a war horse, which was actually mentioned by Zachari in Zachariah's passage, uh, 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 riding a war horse in direct confrontation <clears throat> with the nonviolent Jesus riding a, a donkey, calling for those on the margins to be centered and for the elite's wealth to be redistributed to the to the poor. And, and what we have here, again, is two paths toward peace. One was enforced by militarized power. The other addressed the root causes of injustice that lead to the lack of peace. One approach towards peace is imposed. The other is more organic. It's a more organic approach to, to social causes and effects. When, when Jerusalem came into view... Jesus stopped in Luke and wept. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. That's Luke 19, 42 through 44. And this calls to mind what we're seeing taking place in our society presently. The protests recently, their calls for justice that has, uh, calls that have long gone unheard, yet Trump responding not by listening to the underlying systemic causes and working to address these injustices, but by simply threatening greater force. And I'll put a couple links to examples of that in our e-site this week. We have overfunded militarized police force. And as a country, we spend, I'll put a link for this too, we spend twice as much on law and order as we do on social welfare. And it's in a context like this that Luke's Jesus addresses those weeping for him on the way to his execution. Rome executes Jesus because of his his economic protest in the temple, remember, days earlier, and his and the growing number of its followers among the disinherited and the dispossessed and the disenfranchised. This had to be uh, stopped by the elites. And Luke 23, 28-30, again, he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for if they do these things when the tree is green, notice that part, what will happen when it is dry? Again, 
Many scholars believe Luke's gospel was written after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 CE. Luke connects Jesus' economic teachings about distributive justice, the economic elite's rejection of those teachings, and the Jewish poor people's revolt in the late 60s. All of these are connected in the author of the Gospel of Luke's mind. And as I've shared in previous weeks, the poor people's revolt grew into the the Roman-Jewish War of 66 to 69, which resulted in Rome violently leveling Jerusalem in 70 CE. Luke's Gospel is trying to make sense of the devastation of 70 CE. And Christianity has a long, remember, anti-Semitic history of explaining Jesus's or Jerusalem, sorry's destruction as as God's punishment of the city for rejecting Jesus. And I again, I don't believe that. Uh, instead, I see the gospel authors connecting the rejection of Jesus's economic teachings of wealth redistribution and resource sharing with what later happened in Judea and Galilee. Galilee and Samaria. They're making a more organic, intrinsic connection between a society that rejected economic distributive justice and restructuring their community to prioritize the poor on the one hand, and the poor people's final uprising, ultimate uprising and revolt on the other. The results are not divinely imposed or arbitrary. They're the natural outcome of political, economic, and social causes and effects. And this helps us understand the words, if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? If Rome responds to Jesus's minor protest and demonstration in the temple with such violence as crucifixion, what will Rome do when it's facing an entire poor people's revolt and an all-out class war? Again, the Jewish-Roman War of 66 to 69 and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 CE. Luke's Jesus here also quotes the prophet Hosea, who who centuries before had spoken those words about the way Israel would be destroyed by Assyria. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. They will say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills fall on us. That's Hosea 10, 8 through 10. Luke applies Hosea's words to how Jerusalem would be destroyed, this time not by Assyria, but by by Rome. We find this in Josephus, the, the Jewish war. Uh, this is Williamson and Smallwood's version, uh, translation, uh, page 359. Um, uh, as the legion charged in, and it's talking about the temple, neither persuasion nor threat could check their <clears throat> impetuosity. Passion alone was in command. Most of the victims and think about that passion alone uh, was in command. Think about what we've seen uh, with the violence uh, among uh, uh, well, police violence in response to the protests uh, over the last few days. Um, uh, most of the victims were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, butchered wherever they were caught. Think about that. Round the altar, the heap of corpses grew higher and higher, while down the sanctuary steps poured a river of blood, and the bodies of those killed at the top slithered to the bottom. Next, the Romans came to the last surviving colonnade of the outer court. On this, women and children and a mixed crowd of citizens had found refuge, 6,000 in all. Before Caesar could reach a decision about them or instruct his officers, the soldiers, carried away by their fury, fired uh, the colonnade from below. As a result, some flung themselves out of the flames uh, to their death and others perished in the blaze. Of the vast number, there escaped not 
one. Again, that's the the uninhibited, out of control violence of of a militarized approach to to keeping peace. This is where the path of systemic injustice that's pressed down for too long by militarized force ultimately ends. People finally have enough, and when the dust settles, there's either change or there's massive destruction as social unrest is once again quelled and and social change is once again just pushed further down the line for a future revolt. Rome put down Jerusalem in 70 CE, but just 70 years later, there was another revolt, the Bar uh, Kochba revolt. And the third, that's referred to as the third Jewish revolt uh, by by many historians in in that new millennium that ended in, in Rome's, this time, genocidal destruction of the Jewish people. There's no way to tell how a revolt that's quelled by military force will ultimately turn out. Will change come at a later date or will it just be greater destruction? Peace through a militarized quelling of unrest is not peace. It's a lull waiting for another future eruption. Jesus's life teachings, uh, they teach us that it doesn't have to be this way. The path toward peace It's not greater force. The path toward peace is addressing the underlying causes for the unrest, the underlying systemic injustices and inequities causing the revolt. For Luke's Jesus, the green tree and the dry tree imagery, it echoes the warning given by Ezekiel in the days when Babylonian captivity loomed on the horizon. In Ezekiel 20, verse 47, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm about to set fire to you and it will consume all your trees, both green and dry. The blazing flame will not be quenched and every face from the south to the north will be scorched by it. Everyone will see that I the Lord have kindled it. It will not be quenched. Luke's Jesus is saying, if Rome will do this to me, a prophet of nonviolence, when the protest is nonviolent, if Rome sees my temple protest involving the damage of privileged property and my my growing numbers of followers as a threat, how much more will they, they do this uh, to Jerusalem when, when the people have had enough and they choose the path of violence and insurrection and war? Jesus is proclaiming, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. And what does this mean for us today? We can go on quelling social unrest, or we can choose to listen. I've been reading Alex Vitale's The End of Policing, and on the cover of the book it reads, the problem is not police training, police diversity, police methods. The problem is the dramatic and unprecedented expansion and intensity of policing in the last 40 years, a fundamental shift in the role of police in society. The problem is policing itself. Rather than funding solutions to underlying causes of inequities, we, for the last 40 years, have consistently funded a path of militarized responses to those responding to those inequities. And I'll put a link to this too, but policing, it looks very different in other countries with a criminal justice system that is rehabilitative rather than punitive. And in some of those countries, the police haven't even taken a human life in years. And and they have extremely low recidivism rates compared to ours. It's a time 
right now to take the funding that we've been using to respond to inequity with militarized policing and invest that funding on reshaping and restructuring our societies in a more just, more compassionate, safer way and with life-affirming institutions. Recently, uh, Mark Van Steinwick of the Center for Prophetic Imagination, he posted a list of resources for those who would like to learn more about what defunding the police actually means and what it doesn't mean. And I, I want to recommend this list as a, a good starting point uh, uh, for you. As Michelle Alexander recently stated in an article she wrote, I think it was for the New York Times. I'll put a link to that article in this week's site too. But the title was America, This Is Your Chance. I believe another iteration of our world is possible if we collectively choose it. Heart group application this week, we're continuing to ask all of our heart groups not to meet together physically at this time. Uh, please stay virtually connected, though, and and, and again, practice your, your physical distancing. When you go out, remember to keep six-foot distance between you and others. Wear a mask and, and continue to wash your hands to stop or to keep at bay the spread of, of the virus. It's, it's spiking in a, a number of states right now here in the U.S., um, and each one of us can do our part. This is also a time, remember, where we can practice resource sharing and mutual aid found in the gospel teachings. Make sure the, the others in your group have what they need and, and, and work together. Prioritize protecting those that are most vulnerable in your community and, and, and come up with new ways of how you can take care of each other while we're physically apart during this time. It won't last forever. Um, but, but for now, this is what we're asking. Number one this week, share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or, or this podcast episode uh, with your heart group. And then number two, what are some changes to, to underlying causes of inequities that you would like to see more funding for in your civic community and discuss that with your group? And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of systemically shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, and just home uh, for all? And discuss those with your group and then pick something from that discussion and begin putting it into practice. Thanks for checking in with with us this week, right where you are, uh, keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward distributive justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.